Our guest today is Allison Rodman, and she is an author from New Jersey. Welcome. So, Allison, share with us what brings you to Personalized Learning Southeast and what your work is. Certainly. So, I am deeply committed to personalized learning, but through more of a professional lens. So, we spend a lot of time thinking about curriculum for students and what are some of the ways that we personalize their experience. But unfortunately, we don't spend as much time really attending to the needs of adult learners Mm. that we're expecting to implement some of this work in, in the classroom. So, really looking from an andragogical perspective, how do we think about personalized learning for the adults in our buildings as well as our students. That sounds incredible. One of the one of the themes Matt and I often hear when we're introducing thinkers and leaders in personalized learning is that the adults really do need to feel connected and own it and have a sense of what it really is. Otherwise, how are they going to implement it for our learners? Mm-hmm. So what are some of the recommendations you make to a district or to a school that wants to start personalizing learning for their teachers. Absolutely. So when working with leaders, I encourage them to look through four different lenses. And they're the same lenses that we use in our work with students. So thinking about things such as voice, co-creation, social construction, and self-discovery, but really thinking deeply about what that means for an adult learner whose work needs to be more job embedded, more practical, ready to go on the ground. Um, So when we talk about a concept such as voice, it's great that we're doing needs assessments and giving giving teachers a choice in their professional learning offerings, but we've got to be doing so much more than that. We've got to think about how are we bringing them in to not just share what's of interest to them, but also be able to define some of those success metrics for themselves and be able to really think about what their learning looks like, not only in our synchronous online spaces or our face-to-face spaces, but also in sort of that gray space in between sessions Mm -hmm. when the rubber hits the road and and we start implementing those ideas into practice. Mm So what are some of those other lenses that you talked about? Yep. So when we think about co-creation, I really work with both leaders and facilitators to not only invite learners in to share their learning preferences, but then to also think about what are their personal goals and their professional goals and how is this going to move them along their own growth trajectory to become better model learners for students. And that can mean everything from you know just doing some goal defining at, at the beginning of a session um, or really thinking about what they're doing between the sessions in terms of peer observations, action planning tools, what is it going to mean for them to put that work into implementation in a way that not only sticks, but is meaningful for them individually. Okay. This sounds like, you said like there's some goal setting and some practicing, a lot of the same things that we talk about with our learners. Mm -hmm. Uh, It should be relatively have have this it should be having a lot of the same type of concepts right it does so it has a lot of the the same ideas but I, I think there's even more perhaps social construction that needs to happen with adults than what sometimes even happens with students so when we think about our our personal lives outside of the classroom walls as adults we get a lot of our information by socializing with others we make book recommendations to each other we have different things recommended to us on Amazon we you know wear personal trackers that say you're doing well or you're falling behind in in this team challenge. Our lives are very social in that way, yet unfortunately the work of both teachers and leaders Mm -hmm. tends to feel very isolated. So in professional learning specifically, I think we really miss the ball when it comes to social construction and thinking about what are some of the ways that we can help learners to engage both face-to-face as well as online in a way that supports one another along the way. 
So what are your thoughts on, it's, it's somewhere along the lines of badging, but so with like, mm-hmm. what I'm thinking about is how, right, like I right now have a Fitbit on, yep. you know, and I am very aware that although I've been standing all day, I haven't taken a lot of steps, right? Yeah. And I get this kind of feedback, but then I think about, um, and then, all right, so at one point in my life, I worked for Starbucks and we would get these like stickers every time you hit like a certain, like learned or a certain coffee or whatever, but then, Whenever those types of ideas or badging or rewards, whatever you want to call them, begin to get transferred to the professional teaching space, I feel like something happens Mm -hmm. and it becomes almost like bad, like we shouldn't do that. Can you just share your thoughts on those kinds of systems? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So I I think micro badges and micro credentials definitely have a place and they do as they do work as an extrinsic form of, of motivation. But one of the challenge is, is that when we think about personalized professional learning, too often it shifts exclusively to the online space mm-hmm. where it's very much just about me in this space moving forward to get a badge. Yeah. And we miss some of those pieces of social construction or we miss the collaborative pieces that truly work to develop a learning organization and not just a, a school that's a collection of people who happen to be there. So when we think about badging, I think that it's gotta be, you know, yes about the personal achievement but there also needs to be that social component along with it so some of the more interesting things that I've seen recently around badging are districts who are actually setting them as prerequisites for particular positions so it's not just about earning the badge to be able to put on your computer or your LinkedIn profile but to be able to really say no this is a skill that I've developed independently as well as in collaboration with others that mm-hmm. signifies I'm you know, pre-qualified, if you will, for this particular position. Um, so that's an interesting slant on it, and I'm curious to see where that goes over the next yeah. few years, um, particularly as we think of that within the larger professional space and not just I did this PD workshop on the side or exactly. I happened to, to finish this learning pathway. Right. right. I, I get concerned sometimes about the credentialing part mm-hmm. because you can sit in a session for an hour and get your badge but it doesn't mean you actually do anything with it. As Courtney was just talking about with the drinks, you have to make those drinks over and over, and eventually you get those. Yeah, those, you, get, those, you, get those you, you have the practice, and you know <laughs> yeah. you're doing. You didn't just sit there, watch somebody do it, and said, oh, I, I know how to do that now when I get my badge. And I've seen a lot of districts and schools struggle with how to do the credentialing mm-hmm. because of bad ideas. Like, so where's the follow-up? How do I know that, that the teacher is actually doing that? Is it self-reported? Is it evaluative? Is it... What is what does that look like? And that and so that I don't think that's why I think that's why it hasn't really taken off yet. It's because there's a what what do you do with that now? How how do you know? So I think there's a few different spaces where we kind of miss the mark as far as that's concerned. One is establishing a very clear why for each of our professional learning experiences. Too often we confuse categories with purposes. So we say, oh, well, we're doing that for new teacher induction or we're doing that workshop or that PLC. That's not the real purpose why why you're meeting. So first establishing that why, and I think that's been a theme that's really resonated throughout the conference in a variety of different sessions, and including some of the, the keynotes. Um, but then from there, tending to the how, because I think we make the leap, even with a firmly established why, to the what, and we start going to the logistics, right? So we're going to meet, and then we're going to get a badge, and then we're going to do this. But there's an opportunity there within the how to think about how we're priming learners before they come into the experience, and then also what we're doing sort of in that space in between to make sure that it's not just content coverage or acquisition, but instead real application of of what I'm doing and experiencing, Mm. so that that learning loop continues to be close and I'm growing, not just acquiring new strategies and tools that I may never implement. 
So what kind of changes have you seen in schools or districts that start implementing a personalized learning model for the adults? I'm, I'm really kind of thinking about like those PLCs and those critical friends groups that a lot of schools do, but once um, once this layer comes on, have you seen those change in any way? Absolutely. So I think one of the things is we stop approaching PLCs and some of those groups as just grade-based or content-based and instead get real about what is the area that we're focusing on. Again, what's that purpose? Um, and once we're able to firmly establish that, it becomes okay to exclude certain people from certain sessions. I think we're afraid to do that in education sometimes because we want to say, oh, everybody's got to do this and we've got to keep right. it equal. Yet, ironically, we don't always say that for the kids, right? We talk right. about differentiating for, for kids, but then suddenly it's taboo when we move to the adult learning space. So getting comfortable with saying, you know what, you don't need to be in this session and, and here's a better one for you. Um, and then finally, treating these experiences as experiences and not as events. It shouldn't just be this one-time thing that I come to that I may or may not apply, but instead I'm you know, building anticipation leading up to the experience. I'm being openly welcomed as I come into that group. There's some type of positive accountability to the other people there before I even step foot in the door that says this is a place where we're going to collectively learn together. Mm -hmm. And then from there, really launching in such a way that has power to, to move practice forward instead of just sitting and getting a bunch of strategies and tools that I may or may not apply. So I'm going to ask the question that I know most or many administrators and even other teachers are going to have in their heads, right? It, it's the, it is the accountability issue, mm -hmm. right? So if I'm allowing all of this personalized learning, how do I know and how do I make sure that all of the adults are getting the learning I want them to get? So part of it is spending a lot of time with our facilitators. I, I think sometimes we pick the topics. we pick what we think and hope are the right people to facilitate those topics and then we just kind of let them go yeah. without taking the time to really model and craft very strong facilitation. So mm -hmm. part of that is taking the time at the onset to do that. I'm doing more and more work with districts around coaching facilitation and design mm -hmm. um, than I think we've, we've paid attention to in the past and that we need to pay attention to. Um, so being clear at the onset about what that looks like, but then in terms of accountability, trusting your facilitators to facilitate really well, and then ultimately trusting your teachers to implement. What's interesting is that when professional learning is of high quality, teachers naturally feel invested and then naturally want to implement. Mm -hmm. um, but when they're just coming and, and getting content and it may or may not be applicable to their needs, you are going to have that accountability gap because there's not going to be an interest in, in putting it into practice. Um, the last part of that that I would say is that within the session itself, we need to be making time for learners to get messy. So too often we schedule our professional learning sessions bell to bell, where it's just content, content, strategy, strategy, tool, tool, and there's not time for that collaboration mm -hmm. for them to really plan and think through what it's going to look like tomorrow in the classroom or tomorrow right. at the school level. Um, so not being afraid to allow some of that wiggle room and, and that space for individuals to process and to think about what it looks like in practice within the session itself is, is time well spent. Mm -hmm. I think that's good advice for uh, teachers in classrooms also. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of some teachers in my head right now that always planned every single minute of every single period at, I was a high school teacher, and never had those times to process. So kids never had a chance to like work with it and do something with it. 
and they, they always struggled. Mm-hmm. And do you think it's partly because their teachers are afraid that if a administrator comes in that there's not if something's not happening then I'm not doing my job if you're not talking then what are you doing kids are just (laughs) learning for God's (laughs) sakes absolutely we have so much fear around those things and it happens in professional learning sessions Uh too where you know you have a district leader come in and as a facilitator suddenly you know your your back kind of gets up and, and you wonder am I doing the right thing when in reality everyone in the room is on task and collaborating. You're just not delivering content or walking them through a tool at that point. And you know we see that same situation mirrored over and over again in our learning spaces at every level. Um, and that's where I think we need to give each other a little bit more grace and time and space to to play and apply the learning instead of just going you know chapter after chapter and, and unit after unit without really stopping to say, did I just cover content or did I actually cause learning? seems like there's a lot of culture building that has to happen to make any of this work. Absolutely. Uh, so I've been looking a lot at, at the CASEL framework in terms of supporting leaders and thinking through what does it mean for them to have mm-hmm. that self-awareness as a model learner and then be able to manage themselves and, and manage the social situations that are happening across their school culture um, in order for, for that to be addressed because it's, it's absolutely a challenge if the right foundations aren't in place. Allison Rodman, thank you very much for talking with us today. Thank you. I appreciate being on the show.